And let's pray together. Father in heaven now, even as we begin to open our Bibles, open our eyes, God, uh, mind, and, and Father, soften the soil of our heart that we would receive the good word, this good seed of the word of God, and that fruit would become of this very event. I pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Motivation. Motivation. The dictionary defines it this way. The reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. Motivation. Why do you do what you do? Why do you come here on a Sunday morning? Lots of options, my friends. Why do you live the way that you live? And you know the way that you live. Why do you live that way? Don't tell me it's an accident. What is your motivation here this morning? You ever given thought about such things? Because this morning, we will continue Paul's teaching in Romans 6. You may recall we came to a point in last Sunday's message that we said, well, that's enough. <laughs> and we put it down. It was a perfect place to end and now a perfect place to pick it up. You see, Paul is going to talk about some motivation. And in uh, verses 1 to 14, he, you remember he, Paul instructed us that we should present our members to God. All that we are, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, all that we are, that we should put in his control. We should use these things for his glory. Not for sin. Remember, that's the contrast. We have lived, every one of us, a life of sin, of rebellion against God and others. And yet there was a moment in your life, I trust, where the Spirit of God opened your eyes to the truth. Perhaps you'd heard the gospel thousands of times growing up, like me. It wasn't until I was 19 that I recognize this is, this is life change. This is say goodbye to the old and hello to the new. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ, which means I trusted what he said. I knew that Christ died for my sin. I knew that he rose from the dead. And I trusted him, and I began to live a different life, like you. Like you, there are some times I struggled. Some things were just not so easy to give up, were they? Yeah. And Paul is saying, hey, it's time to stop using these hands, these eyes, and these ears for our own purposes, but for God. And here in verses 15 to 23, Paul tells us why. It gives us some motivation to live in this way, to live fully committed to God. Now, when I was a kid, the answer I got for why should I have to do this was because I told you so. Anybody else have that kind of parent? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I told you to. That's why. Well, this would be a short sermon if that's all Paul said, but he didn't. And what he does is he gives us three major motivations to live fully committed lives to God. 
in the first is found here in verses 14 and 15. And it is because of God's great favor, his grace, grace itself is unmerited favor, the favor of God that you didn't work for, you don't earn. God gives it because he is a God of grace, his favor. When we talk about grace, there are a number of aspects that we should perhaps make clear. There is something called common grace. And what that is, is that when the rain falls, it doesn't uh, only fall in the fields of the righteous, but on the wicked as well. In other words, everyone can enjoy it. You know, sunrise, sunset, the beautiful colors in northwest Indiana. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Common grains. Because they are available to all. Common grace. Rain falls on the righteous and on the wicked. And then there is the grace that has to do with pardon. That you and I, we came into this world sinners and we proved it to everyone in our actions, in our attitudes, our words. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Death being death as we know it, physically, but also spiritually. Our sin separates us from our God. And the ultimate separation from God, as we know, is hell. The ultimate. Separate from his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his joy, his peace. All that he offers. Sin separates us. But God in his great love sent his son Jesus to die for our sin, to die in our place, to take the penalty we deserve. How great is that? How great is God's love? That's grace, my friends. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it. That's grace. And then there is the grace of power. By God's grace, we can do anything that he has called us to do. God's empowerment, enablement. That is God's grace at work. You hear us often pray that God will grant you grace. That he will enable you to live as he has called you to live. To do the things you know you must do. God's grace. That ought to be a motivating factor, my friends. There's no excuses when it comes to obedience to Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us, and he has given us his grace. How great is that, that Christ died for you? How amazing is that grace? Verse 14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. That word dominion means to exercise authority or to rule. You see, nobody likes to be told what to do, but my friends, you're a slave of something. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of God. In other words, you serve sin or you serve God. But the grace of God sets us free. Grace, you notice in verse 15, is not an excuse to sin, but a reason to obey. God's grace, it is great, it is greater than our sin. 
What then, verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Oh, yeah, God's grace covers all of it. All of the past, all of the future, every last one of those sins you've ever thought about or imagined or witnessed in someone else's mind. My friends, grace. I want to be the greatest motivator for you in light of what Christ paid for your sin. We ought to sin less, my friends. It. Reason number two, motivation number two, why you ought to stop it is because of our newfound freedom. Our newfound freedom. Look at verse 16. Whomever you yield to is your master. Do you not know, verse 16, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Whomever you yield to is your master. You yield to the flesh. You yield to the desires of a sinful nature to act on these things. You are a slave to sin. But Christ's death on the cross has set you free. He has set you free. Now, you only have two more options here, my friends. Whomever you serve determines your reward. Look at this here at the end of verse 16. He says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Righteousness, a right standing with God. Two options, my friends. One that leads to death, one that leads to life. So because of our newfound freedom, we ought to live obediently to God. Look at verse 17 and 18. We now serve God as believers in Jesus Christ, and we are slaves of righteousness. Look at verse 17, slaves of sin. But thanks be to God, Paul says, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, which you have become slaves of righteousness. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who has put their trust, their faith in Christ's death for our sin. We're adopted into a new family, and we live differently we march to the beat of a different drummer my friends we follow someone new and it is christ but you know my friends we must learn to serve our new master it's called discipleship it is a training in which we learn how to use our members Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. Once, I've simplified this because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Leading to sanctification. So, in other words, we need to practice 
using our hands and our ears. I was talking to my, my friend Steve on the phone or on Zoom last night, I should say. It's an appointment we keep regularly, weekly, talking about what's going on in our lives and in our churches, both of us leaders. And he says, you know, in that regard, in this trying to prepare myself to live well daily, one of the things that I've done is I, I turn on worship music at night and I fall asleep to it. It plays throughout the night softly. And you know, I have found my mood is different in the morning. Now we don't know, we don't know, we can only guess what uh, hearing things, but what, what they do, I suppose there's probably a myriad of studies on such things. But what, what the illustration here is this, that he has taken steps. What must I change into my ears that change what comes out. You know the old uh, computing expression, garbage in, garbage out, you know, bad code, bad programs. Yeah, ain't gonna work well if it's done poorly. What are you taking in in your life as a habit in order to produce? We ought to take in the word of God, my friends. It changes the way we think, and when we change the way we think, we change the way that we live. It's just that simple. And so we present our ears to God and our minds to God and our hands to God. And we must learn. I'm speaking in human terms again, he says. For just as you once presented your members to slaves to impurity and to lawless slaves of righteousness, Leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. Your goal and my goal ought to be like this, that we ought to be living just as well as followers of Jesus Christ as we did living sinners. As bad a sinner as you ought to be, my friends, as good of a godly man or woman you ought to be. Outdo yourself in this, my friends. Outdo yourself. Now, Paul talks about this later in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 1. Perhaps a verse that you've memorized at some point in your life. Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. <coughs> holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, a living sacrifice, all of you, but back. Well, yeah, I'm serving Jesus, but I, no, no buts, nothing else, a living sacrifice, all of it gets burned, my friends, all of it goes to the Lord. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, the Lord may ask some of us to die for him. He may. We don't know. We don't know what's happening in six weeks or a year from now. We don't know. But you know what? He calls every one of us to live for him. Not a day off, not a moment, but to live for him. We must learn to obey our new master. And finally, our third motivation. 
our third motivation. And it is as simple as this, for what we get out of it. That's why it comes last here. Paul says it a bit differently, but because of our newfound fruit. Fruit is the result of our yielding our life to God. God produces fruit in us, spiritual fruit. Fruit that is is good, spiritual fruit. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control and maybe something else, but it's at least that. And these are the things that God produces in us when we yield our life to Him. Well, friends, death, haven't we? One, that sin's reward is death. Boy, we have beat that horse to death, haven't we? But we need to know the end of sin is death. There is no reward in sin, my friends. Only death. Only death. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things, Paul says, is death. But now, verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now this word sanctification is the process of being set apart for God. It is It is the process in which we are conformed to the character of Christ, in which we are being changed. And God uses all of the circumstances in our life. God uses, at times, it is the joy, cult things in your world to shape you. Sometimes it is the joy of living for him that begins to change everything. But God uses everything, every little bit. Nothing is wasted. It is the process whereby God uses all the circumstances of our life to conform us to the character of Christ, that we might be more like Jesus. And so the fruit of faith, of yielding our life to God, is sanctification. We become more of what we long to be, Oh, we long to be better than we are, do we not? Do we not wrestle with such things? Lord, why am I still doing that? Why are these thoughts still coming to my mind? Oh, God, make me clean. But ultimately here in verse 23, the ultimate reward of this eternal life, yield themselves wholly to God by faith. It is eternal life. And again, he says it yet again. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, that's grace, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. You know where life is? Life is living in relationship with God. That is where life is lived to its fullest, and that is ultimately where we will be living in the very presence of Jesus and ultimately changed forever. Well, let's wrap it up. 
The benefits of yielding our lives to God are great motivation to live a holy, devoted life to Christ. The wages of sin is death, my friends, but the benefits of yielding our lives to God, these are great motivations to live a life wholly devoted for Christ. So remind yourself regularly. No to sin and eight benefits of yielding yourself to the Lord. To say no to sin and its desires and say yes to the Lord because you know that God is using all of these things to transform us. Perhaps hang a picture in your house that calls attention to yielding to the Lord. One of the great reminders uh, that has been painted for me is, is of the uh, account of the prodigal son. What a powerful, powerful story that Jesus told. And it pictures both God himself and our sinful nature. You remember the son, the son who basically said to his father, I wish you were dead. I really want my inheritance. So please give it to me now. I'm tired of living it. I want to go. And his father says, sure, take it. See how that works for you. And you know what happens. He travels into other towns and he wastes all his money until he has except for a memory that when he was home and with his father, all oh, the food that was there and the joy and the, all of the things I long for now are gone. And so he comes to himself. A key point in his life. And says, I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father. And you remember what he says? I will be one of his servants. Well, they have more than enough. And there his father sees him from afar. Kill the fatted calf. My son who is gone is now home. Let us celebrate. That is how God welcomes us home. As despicable as that son was. Look how the father welcomes him. We got to live well, my friends. We ought to live well. It's the only thing to do in light of all that God has done for us. prodigal, wasteful son, perhaps a prodigal father who gave away all of his riches in order to gain the heart of his son. There's a picture for you, friends. And it reminds me that I want my heart and my hands and my eyes and my ears and my mouth to be used for the glory of God. It's the only reasonable thing to do, my friends. And finally, encourage one another to live this way. Not by your words, hey, why aren't you living that way? But model it. Live in such a way that others around you long to have the same kind of life. That they see something in you that Christ is producing in your life. Because you've yielded yourself day after day.
well. You'd never know how God will use it. Father in heaven, oh, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for these reminders. And we so desperately need them. We're so quick to forget how great a thing that you have done for us. That while we deserved an eternity separated from you, you gave us your son who died for our sin and rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. Oh God, help us to live in a way that screams that we are grateful. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.